to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good morning. And welcome into the podcast. Today is December the 23rd. It's 2021. Two more days until Christmas. And yesterday we started off the podcast talking about line of duty deaths. There were two. We discussed uh, Michonne Plummer in Chicago Engine 94. We also talked briefly about an assistant fire chief who was killed. And I want to go ahead and... uh, talk about him a little today to start. Uh, Bryant Gladney, uh, an assistant chief in Boone County, Missouri, uh, was killed by a uh, tractor trailer. The truck slammed into uh, his vehicle. They were operating at at an automobile accident there. The truck also proceeded to hit an ambulance uh, and another vehicle that was involved in the original crash. And uh, uh, Gladney was uh, extricated and immediately rushed to the hospital. Um, unfortunately, he was pronounced dead. Huge, uh, huge loss for a huge loss for obviously his friends and family and his fellow firefighters in Boone County, Missouri, and and elsewhere. We we talked about scene safety yesterday, and I don't want to to go back over that except to say that. Uh, You know, it is something to think about. It is something to add to a training plan. It is something that company officers should should go over with their crews. It is something that takes the lives of firefighters. And uh, nobody wants to have to go through what uh, Boone County, Missouri, is going through right now. And, uh, you know, obviously, anytime we hear a line of duty death, we... We have to uh, we look at the circumstances surrounding it and see what lessons can be learned. Uh, right now, uh, you know, just condolences going out uh, to all uh, involved in that. Here's something you don't hear very often, which is a good thing. Um, a fire department, uh, and I'm not even going to call out their name. Um, it's too embarrassing um, in a city. Uh, the fire department's assistant chief was put in charge as an acting chief after the uh, the chief was, I guess, dismissed. Here's the problem. The assistant chief was convicted of arson a number of years ago. And uh, apparently uh, uh, he had it, uh, he had the governor... Uh, at some point in the past, uh, the governor basically wiped it away. Um, but here's the thing. It's great that, that he doesn't have that on his official record anymore. And, and all of that, I, I get it. Uh, everybody makes mistakes when they're young. Um, people make mistakes when we're old. But here we're talking about arson. And this person is a firefighter. And my first thought when I first saw this story was that, you know what, 
I'll bet this guy's dad or mom is some bigwig somewhere. Well, partially true. I wouldn't call him a bigwig, but apparently he's in charge of, of some sort of emergency services in that county or whatever. And again, people deserve second and third chances. That's the way life works. But do they necessarily need to be in a position over firefighters if they have been convicted of arson? I cannot imagine somebody who has, uh, uh, who has you know, robbed people being put in charge of uh, becoming a robbery detective. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Sure. Go on, live your life, do whatever you want to do. But as a firefighter who um, who is uh, someone who sets fires, the credibility of firefighters is, is always fraught with danger, every emergency service. And now you have somebody, uh, again, um, who should be given a second and third chance at life. But why firefighting? Well, I guess 10 out of the 14 <coughs> members of the department thought the same because they immediately resigned um, from the department. And of course, uh, that particular little town, city, uh, they said, well, no, we have complete confidence in him to head the department uh, because a change was needed. Um, you know, this is where uh, politicians, this is marked number 6,480,000 against politicians um, just just this week. It, it's ignorant to put someone in charge of something knowing full well that it will create a storm. It's just stupid. I'm sorry. It makes no sense. You know, here's, here's something else to think about. At what point do you look at those politicians who decided this, these board members or whatever they are, what point do you look at them and say, you know what, if you're willing to put an arsonist in charge of the fire department, maybe you're willing to put a thief in charge of the police department, maybe you're looking to put a, a, a drug addict in charge of EMS, at what point do you say, you know what we don't want as citizens? jackasses in charge of a city are in charge of making these types of decisions. There are people who would love to be in positions and who've worked their whole careers to be in these types of positions as, as a, a fire chief. How about giving them a shot? It just boggles the mind. It is absolutely, um, it's asinine to be blunt. Um, and again, this is somebody who was not accused of arson, but at one time was convicted of it. And it's great, again. You got it expunged, whatever, whatever the wording is there in, in that particular state. And I'm not going to call out their name because it's embarrassing. It's, it's just too embarrassing. Um, it just boggles the mind. And uh, it further erodes the credibility of both politicians and in that particular area of firefighters. It really does. People look at those types of decisions. You know, 
arson's difficult enough to prove. It's difficult to get a conviction because people see it as a victimless crime. It's not. And it is going to be, and, and this is another thing. You lose 10 firefighters out of 14, yeah, there's a lot of people that felt like you did the wrong thing. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see how this sort of thing kind of uh, works its way out. And it also is going to, uh, I think, create bigger issues going forward in that particular little place. Uh, here's hoping that, uh, that citizens are become aware of it and decide to remove the people who decide to put people in charge of things who really don't need to be there. We all walk into uh, changing tact here. Uh, we all walk into businesses each and every day. Um, over the past couple days, I've walked into uh, several businesses where the exits were, were partially blocked. Uh, we all know about exits, you know, and, and if you've served as a code official, I've, I have. Um, it is uh, one of the, uh, you know... Blocked exits and locked exits. They kill people. They also result in criminal prosecution, and they should. If you want to be a codes professional, if you want to be a fire marshal, fire inspector, whatever the case may be, you know you actually have to inspect things. And you actually have to get people to understand that blocking a hallway, blocking a hallway, blocking an aisle in a supermarket. All of those things are pathways out of a building during a fire. It is the simplest uh, code decision you'll make in your life. Locked exits, blocked exits, blocked passageways cannot be allowed. And frankly, I blame some of this on uh, people who end up taking a... Uh, a simple, you know, two-day course or whatever, four-day course, and they're wham, bam, they're they're suddenly a, a code authority. There are so many ways to go through and get uh, get the proper certification um, for codes professionals, and and frankly, um, a lot don't do it. Uh, some departments are happy just to throw them through a, a basic uh, class that really is nothing more than familiarization. And they try to run around and, and say, well, I'm a fire marshal or I'm the fire inspector. And look, one of my big issues is, and if you just use this, one of my big issues is this. When you walk in to do an inspection, here are the two things that you have to keep in mind above all else. Citizens and firefighters. That's who you have to keep at the top of your head. I mean, if you keep citizens and firefighters at the forefront of your mind, you'll make the right decisions each and every time. And if you don't, then the ability to have, uh, you know, to go back and research 14,000 codes is really immaterial because it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. You have people that fall in love with... with with the idea of doing something, but they don't want to do the work. They don't want to be the bad guy. And you have some people who, who also, and let's be blunt, 
they become a fire inspector, fire marshal, and they go in and they start ranting and raving. That doesn't last long, folks. It just doesn't. Um, that is the quickest way to have businesses call up politicians, and politicians are going to jump because businesses are the lifeblood of a community. It's the way it is. It's our economic system. It's the way it is. But you do have to be able. Uh, are you, here's the thing. You teach, and, and once you've taught them that, then you have to hold accountable those people. And it's an absolute disaster waiting to happen. And, you know, I, during my time as, as a code official, as a fire marshal, whatever, um, I was not the most liked person uh, in, in people in, in that particular city. But that's okay. You know, if you're in life as a popularity contest, you're already behind the eight ball. But here was my thing, and this was the only thing that guided me, and it was civilian life, firefighter life. And I think if you focus on those, you'll make the right decisions. Locked and blocked exits, no. They have to be cleared, not later, not tomorrow, unless they're going to shut it down completely. They have to be cleared now. And too often... Those things are allowed to just sit there, and of course there are going to be um, there are going to be problems, just like there are every time. And there are numerous opportunities to go in and out of businesses. I, I hear people all the time, and it, it bothers me, frankly. Is like, well, I'm too busy to get around to every business. You don't have to get around to every business. But you can always make a trip through, walk through a place, pop in, look at exits, pop out. Those things are easy to do. And here's what, here's what really bothers me. I will promise you, go and ask your fire inspector or your fire marshal. Say, hey, you know, uh, I know around the holidays a lot of storage is taking place, right? Stores have a lot more storage around the holidays than they do uh, any other time of the year, have you? Uh, what's your plan for dealing with that over the next two weeks, two months? If you have a good one, they're gonna say each and every time, "Yep, we're going by and looking at it," and you know we're gonna uh, either drop off some flyers or or send an email and just do some spot checking. Here's when you know you have a bad one. What's that now? What'd you ask me? Ah, oh, we don't do that. Our our people know. Or sometimes you'll hear uh, one of my favorites, which is, uh, yeah, I, I don't have the people for it. Well, are you the person? If you don't have the people, then it's on you. Get out there and start looking around. Get out there and do your job. Another thing, when companies are out and about in the district, if they're walking into a to a grocery store, if they're walking into any sort of business, it doesn't hurt to just look around a little bit. I'm not talking about anything formal. It doesn't take a lot to just look around and go, hey, yes, sir, you're going to need to, you know, you're going to need uh, to unblock that exit. Thankfully, most most firefighters will do that. 
um, people who've had any amount of time on departments where they're running calls, they see that that is something that needs to be addressed. And it typically will be. But, but you know, here's the big thing. You don't want to impede the path of people trying to get out of something that's burning. It causes a mass panic. Then you have multiple deaths. One death's one too many. And, uh, you know, you just can't have those types of things. And when people come to a door, you can't have it being locked or blocked. Um, some big box retailers with exit doors that, that come out of the front of the building, uh, sometimes at least one of their exits, there'll be a truck parked in front of it. Um, this chain is notorious for it. Uh, and it, I have to say, it's not the chain's fault. It's allowing people to park or, or workers, you know, pull up and they pull right in front of this door that swings, a, that swings out. And it's just horrible. And I promise you, if I went to 10 of those stores today, two or three would be blocked. That's just the way it is. And it shouldn't be. I want to switch real quick to a conversation that... Uh, is, is often It often comes up, and it comes up in several discussion forums that I'm part of. And that's people listening to the radio. You know, they, we take radios for granted. Um, you know, the, the folks that I looked up to when I was younger, um, they had only the truck radio. And sometimes not even that. But they did. They had the truck radio. Uh, when I joined the fire department, typically the company officer had a radio, uh, but nobody else did. Now you have radios. Everyone has a radio. But here's what I've noticed. Most people don't listen to the radio during a call. Um, they are too busy doing everything else, and, and they miss important information. And to be sure, you're not going to hear every single thing. There are some things that we all just tune out on the fire ground. That's the way it goes. But you have to emphasize how important it is to listen. Key words is a good way to do it. Every time there's a mayday, everyone should be tuned into that. It's the way it is. Just should. Um, an urgent message. If you're on the fire ground and you hear an urgent, a mayday... Anything like that, you need to start paying attention and listen. It can become easy for people to get so focused on a single solitary task that they have, uh, you know, they, they close down their, their reception of, of anything coming from, that, uh, from the outside. That can be fatal. We have to listen to the radio. Have to. You know, I know... During searches, especially, there are um, you, know, you may have people outside who've said something to to someone on the exterior, and they may radio and try to tell you, "Hey, um, you know, the child may be in the closet." Now, you're supposed to search that anyway, right? But it's always good when somebody can pinpoint where somebody is. You may never get to that closet doing a standard search. But if, you, if someone tells you that child typically goes to that closet, and again, we know how civilians are. You know, it might not be there at all. They might be at grandma's house. You don't know. But it gives you a leg up. You have to listen to the radio. Um, 
also, if you get somebody that find, you know, you get a search team, they find somebody and they're heading to the exterior and they're saying, hey, you know, we need a ladder. You want to, you want to be listening to that. You know, if you're in a ladder truck, you're listening for those types of things. But if you're in an engine company, you should be listening to it as well. You might be the closest person that can do something. So listening to that radio is important. It's also important to listen to what's going on, not just with your company, but in your, your particular battalion, department, whatever. Very often, people won't hear a single call. You know, a call goes out, people have just blanked on it, nobody's listening, and somebody's calling for help. Sure, you can wait on the dispatcher to send you. That, that's certainly, you know, communications. They may get in touch with you. But look, every call has the potential to be something much larger than what it is. In fact, it has the potential to be something not at all associated with the reason why they were sent there. If firefighters are ambushed somewhere, oftentimes firefighters listening in at the station They'll hear it. They, they're getting on the road immediately. You know, it, it is something that we have to train ourselves to do to be sure, but it is vital. So, listen to the radio. Now, talking about search, um, a friend of mine, uh, we were talking about the craziest places that, that you find, especially children. Uh, but also adults, and, and uh, we were talking about draperies and curtains um, and how it, it, one call that, uh, that my friend was at, uh, they were doing a, a search, and uh, he was a fairly new firefighter, so he saw a pile of drapes, you know, where they had uh, come down, and uh, near the window, obviously, and so he went right on past the drapes, and the guy behind him, who was his partner, an old salt, uh, he heard him say, victim, and uh, he turned around, and sure enough, there was a child. The child ended up being fine uh, after some, I guess, smoke inhalation. But uh, you really, children are amazing in, in the places that they can get into and the places they will go to feel safe. That's why fire prevention is, is so focused on children. We learn these things as children. Hopefully we mature and uh, we don't go hide in a toy box um, when there's a fire. Uh, but, you know, you can't, really, you can't really say that adults will never do it either. Um, I know for sure I could never hide in a, in a uh, toy box, toolbox, or anything else. But the point is, um, you know, if, if you got a mattress that's on the floor, it, maybe they're sleeping on a mattress on the floor. But you know what? It may be an indication of a bunk bed. You know, oftentimes there's more than one victim. Somebody reaches up, they feel a victim, they're grabbing them, they're pulling them out. Guess what? There's another victim on the bed. You reached, you found what you were looking for. You pull that one off, that victim off, and out you go. There could be a second victim in the bed. How many people's kids run and jump in bed with them? It happens all the time. Those are those types of things. And it's just, it was interesting talking to him. Um, you know, how you can't take things for granted. And uh, young firefighters especially are taught, you know, check the bed, check the bed, check the bed. And it's rare that somebody says, check the bed for more than one victim. Again, that's part of that 
that insightful training, and that comes a lot of times, it comes from experience. Um, it really does. And, you know, I recall one time, um, these were in some uh, housing projects. Um, I went in with a, a captain and, and uh, they pulled the line in and he and I, we went in, made a right-hand turn and we both tripped and fell. And uh, we're like, wow, victim. And, and so we pulled the guy out and the guy had been pulled out of probably six or eight, uh, or he'd been pulled out of fire six or eight times. And as we got him outside, we realized that, that uh, you know, he was uh, insanely drunk, um, just blasted. And apparently uh, it was something that he was uh, quite proficient at. He was, uh, he imbibed copious amounts of spirits. And then he uh, would get, uh, he would leave things cooking and end up being pulled out of a house. So he was a, a frequent uh, victim, you know, all-time victim. That That's what he was. And I'm quite sure he died of old age. There's no way he was going to die in a fire, not after being pulled out five or six times. Um, but it, again, you know, you're, you're going in expecting one thing and you really have to have uh, sort of an open, clear mind about what you're going to find. Yes, you have those those cues, those clues that are going off in your head. You know, we're going to start a right-hand search. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then you find a pot-bellied pig. You know, I mean, it, it happens. Um, it's interesting, too, uh, how things are not what they seem. And we use that a lot in, in, in uh, uh, tactics, right? We, we show a picture of a house or a structure, and we say, okay, you know, tell us about the structure. And so you, you talk about the structure and then you suddenly go around back and it's a four-story building, whereas on the front it's a, it's a half-story garage. I'm being a little bit facetious there. Uh, the same goes when you're in a building. You know, we all have our ideas of how searches should be conducted, or excuse me, about the buildings that we're going in to conduct searches in. But we know with experience that what you see is not what you often get. You go in and, and you're looking for, uh, you know, you, you have a standard house in a, uh, in a, in a development. You know, it's, it's uh, one of those, uh, uh, those cutout houses, you know. It's copy and paste houses. They build one here, paste, 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 paste all the way down. And you get to one and you're like, I've been in this house. I've been in a house like this before. I know right where the den is. And you go in and you start feeling like, what in the hell is that? And it's a motorcycle. Um, you know, those are the types of things that can happen anywhere. But also there can be alterations on the interior. And don't think that everybody pulls a permit. Let's be honest. Uh, so, I mean, those types of things are, are what keeps things fresh in our minds. And if you're young, focus on that kind of stuff. Think about what you might see. And uh, because while it's great to have a plan, no plan is good if it can't be altered you know, uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy is an old saying. And uh, so if you're geared into a plan and that's your plan and it goes wrong, that's where you make your money. That's where you become good is can you adapt and overcome that particular situation. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back on Christmas Day to do a podcast and uh, uh, going to be some uh, uh, 25 things that, that uh, uh, you know, 
uh, no, I'm joking. It's not going to be 25 things. But on Christmas Day, I'm going to be talking about giving thanks for some things and what to expect in the new year. That'll do it for now. Stay safe.